Today's reading is from Matthew 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to the Father, to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. I want to start off this morning just by sharing uh, how uh, my experience uh, with uh, the Aboriginal people, the First Nations people here in in uh, in Canada. I've only been to the First Nations Reserve twice. Uh, first time, uh, it, I stumbled upon it accidentally because I was part of the SFU uh, field study course out in Banfield, which is the west coast of Vancouver Island, and part of the research center was. Uh, in the reserve uh, where we launched off into the other parts of the forest. And that was my first time seeing the destitution uh, and the poverty in the land uh, in the place where these houses were there, but it was so broken, so run down, uh, so uh, out of touch with the rest of uh, this part of the world that we live in, uh, that it was quite shocking uh, that it really wasn't that far away, but to walk into that place, it was really quite shocking. The second time, I was on a First Nations Reserve, was on a short-term mission trip. Um, this was a couple of years ago when I was doing a survey just to see what it's like. Uh, I went to visit the Sayout uh, First Nations, which is uh, just outside of Victoria. If you take the ferry, it's about 15 minutes uh, outside of the ferry terminal there. Uh, actually, you drive on the highway and the first McDonald's sign you see, uh, you turn left and you keep driving all the way down to the water and you, you'll be in the, in the reserve. But what was stark was that the road was very straight all the way into the reserve, but all of a sudden it makes this big round detour. And the reason for that is because uh, there's a cemetery there. And over the years, this cemetery has grown and grown and grown, uh, not with those that are elderly and, and passed away from more natural causes, but from the youth in the community uh, that's died from uh, suicide, uh, that's passed on from overdoses. Um, and you, you might be aware that suicide is the leading cause of death with First Nations youth. So this cemetery, this road used to be right beside it, but as the cemetery grew and grew, the road actually had to start detouring around uh, to make space for this uh, cemetery and the death of the youth there in the First Nations. And as I look at the, upon the Indigenous people, we can't help but think of the colonialization of our country. I can't think of the, uh, and we can't uh, help but think of the history of our country and also the participation of the church uh, in these horrific acts in the past. And this morning, we continue on in our series called Faith in Life, Why We Believe What We Believe. And we come across this question that we all need to have an answer for, that we all need to wrestle with. 
is why is the church responsible for so much injustice? As you look into the world and into history and even in our own part of the country, I mentioned last week of the 215 bodies that were found uh, in the residential school in Kamloops. As we look upon this and as the world looks upon the church and looks upon Christians, people feel like they can't be part of an institution with such a history of, of injustice, with such a history of hypocrisy. So the question for us of why is the church involved with, responsible for so much injustice is a very important and personal question for us this morning. And there's a couple ways we could answer and address this question. And the easy answer is to say that the church is made, made up of people and people are sinful. That, that's the easy answer to it. But perhaps what people are asking when they're asking this question, why is the church so responsible for it? is maybe this, that they, when they, they look upon Christians and they see how the life of, our, of all the Christians in the world, it doesn't match what uh, it really looks like in scripture. That, at such, that when people look at the church or look at Christians, they can't really tell a Christian and a non-Christian apart uh, from the way that, that, that we live. Like, that, that when they, they would look at our lives as Christians or a life of a non-Christian, they can't tell really the difference. And if you, to, if, to uh, so starkly, in fact, if you put a Christian and non-Christian side by side, you wouldn't be able to tell who's who because everyone's hanging out in the same places. They believe in the same things. They're doing the same acts. They all have the same habits. And they look at that and be like, well, what's really the difference? Uh, why does the church, why is the church even relevant? Why does it even matter? Well, the Christians say they're Christians, but they're still doing the same things. And then we see the moral failings of recent Christian leaders, like especially last year, like Ravi Zacharias uh, and Carl Lentz of Hillsong. We look at that and we're like, it doesn't help the cause. It doesn't help the image of the church. So that's part of the problem. And maybe it has to do also with how if someone looks into the church, inside the church, just seems to be more conflict and fighting than at your local YMCA, than at, than at your local community center. That they look at your church and you're like, you know what? Like, if this is what unity and love is supposed to look like, it looks, I, I, I'd rather go to the YMCA. I'd rather go to the local community center. I'd rather go to a local chess club at the park because at least they, they seem to like each other. Uh, they seem to have a bond. They seem to actually want to talk to each other. They actually care about each other. They actually are giving up their time to be with one another. And thirdly, it has to do with the issue of war, uh, war and violence. We ask, what about the African slave trade? Wasn't that started by the church? We ask, what about the inquisitions and the conquistadors going into Latin America? Didn't Christians institutionalize imperialism that conquered so much of the world? What about what's been done to the indigenous people here in the residential schools? I hear that the church was responsible for those schools for most of the span of their existence. And when some say religion is the cause of so much violence in the world, we see and we look through these examples of that being the case. But to be fair, there have just been as much war and violence coming from secular countries as well. But as the church, we have to stand apart. This is a dark mark in the history of the church. And just because it happens all around the world, that doesn't make it okay, especially for the church to be involved with. 
And it's important to pause a little bit this morning uh, to, and not to justify anyone's actions, but we need to acknowledge how Christian theology teaches how all people, even Christians, are flawed. That everyone is flawed. This means we need to be extra careful, us as Christians, uh, with our intentionality and why we do what we do uh, and, all behind, and our intentionality behind all the actions. Because the heart of Christian theology is that salvation does not come from what we do, but what Christ has done for us. That's, that's the heart of Christian theology. It's not what we are doing, what we think is right, what we think, uh, uh, what we justify and what we judge as right and wrong. It's Jesus. He's, he, he is our, 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 our marker. He's the one that we look to. He's the center of our faith. And what he does and what he believes, that's what we follow. But when we place ourselves in the, in, in, we're, as the center of our religion, when we place ourselves in, as the center of the church, bad things happen. T terrible things happen. This attitude leads us to use scripture to justify our actions. It's not just the wars of the past. It's still happening today. We use scripture to justify our actions instead of seeing if our actions measure up against scripture. There's a difference between the two. The gospel should, the gospel should be the, the source that's shaping our actions. Not the other way around. We shouldn't be the ones who shape the gospel and what we think it is and what we think it means. No, it's already been set for us through the words of scripture that's been communicated to us. And there's a warning for us as we start off this morning here. It's like, how dare we ever use the name of God to accomplish and justify our own ways? That's at the heart of what's going on here. How dare we ever use the name of God to accomplish and justify our own ways? It's not just war. And, and all the injustices in the world, whenever it is that we do that. How dare we carry the name of God only for our own needs without the need for sacrifice and love and mercy that God calls us to. Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God, he lists four things to do when you come upon a text that offends or confuses you. Uh, and I find it quite helpful. I'm not sure you can see that's kind of small. But number one, he says, consider the possibility that it, teach, it does not teach what you think it teaches. Don't jump right away to what you think it means. Give it a, give it, give it a chance that maybe it's not what you think it teaches, that there's something deeper there. Number two, consider the possibility that you are misunderstanding what the Bible teaches because of your own cultural blinders or the possibility that, that you're blinded because you're just simply offended that you're offended, so you don't want to read it, and you don't want to hear the truth of it, because just because you're offended, it doesn't mean it's less true. Number three, distinguish between the major themes and the message of the Bible, and it's less primary teachings, that there's major and minor themes, and how does this text fit within the context of the whole Bible? And number four, remember that all of scripture is about Jesus. So if you don't see how this connects with who Jesus is and how he lived and how he would deal with such an issue, then we're missing the point of that text altogether. Because it comes down to this, comes down to this why is the church responsible for so much injustice? Sometimes it is misunderstanding and misapplication of the Bible. Sometimes it's because Christians that we, we, we don't live as if we're sinners, but we end up judging other people and we think we're the source of what's right and wrong. And sometimes it's just pure thoughtlessness. But I think it really boils down to this, which comes to our text this morning. It boils down to one word, which is hypocrisy. It boils down to one word, which is hypocrisy. And the big idea for us this morning is that hypocrisy hurts people. 
it's so simple, but we need to realize that hypocrisy hits, hurts people, whether it causes death, whether it drags someone off to a residential school, whether, what, whether it's what, what's done to your son and daughter that you're trying to teach and parent at home. Hypocrisy hurts people and we end up hurting our own faith and our own belief and our own foundations as well. Hypocrisy is what's hurting and harming and killing people. And today's passage is part of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 to 7, that's the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is doing a heavy bulk, a heavy series of teaching. And chapter 6 starts off with this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Be careful that you don't live according to how others will view you be careful not to get the uh, reception and the applause of other people be more concerned with how god sees you Uh, be more concerned with how god sees you be careful about how you live about what you do about what you say about what you feel about what you're thinking everything about you be careful that's not for other people but ultimately it's, it's for god because god is the one that sees you and knows you be careful not to live in this hypocritical way. And a hypocrite could be defined in this way, an inconsistent person, a person that says one thing, does another, and knows that they are what they're doing is wrong, but puts up a front. Uh, so it's an inconsistent person that knows what they're doing is wrong, but puts up a front as if it's not happening. And the word used in Matthew 6 here, which Anthony read for us, and you keep hearing that word hypocrite, that word means actor. It means to be an actor, to be a pretender. Uh, you see actors in ancient times, especially in Rome and Greece in that time, uh, they wore lots of masks and miming was very popular. And there was a character in each play that was called the pantomimus, which means uh, the mimer of all things. And this is the main character that would wear different kind of masks throughout the whole play. And he, he, this person is known as the imitator of everything. And Jesus is using this imagery here that as a hypocrite, a hypocrite is really a person who wears a mask to hide who they are, depending on the context. They're wearing different masks to hide their true heart, their true self, just to fit into the context and the culture. Uh, And you're you're hiding yourself from who you really are. And that's how Jesus is addressing the Pharisees here in in this text. He's addressing the Pharisees and he gives a warning to all of us here today too. In verse two, he says this. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or in streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. So they took care of the poor and they took care of the needy, not because they really cared for the poor and the needy, but it was to look good in front of other people. Or when he moves on in verse five, when you pray, talking about prayer, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Do not, don't pretend, don't put on the mask for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. So Jesus is calling them out as Pharisees and pretenders and mask wearers on how they pray because they're not really praying to have a relationship with God, to speak with God, but they're praying to show others how holy they are, to show that others how, how uh, significant and how well-versed they are. And Jesus talks about fasting as well. When you fast, do not be, look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received the reward in full. They fast so that others can see how much they're suffering for the sake of the gospel. 
not really for their own spiritual growth. Again, not really for their own relationship with Jesus. And ultimately, prayer, things like prayer, uh, things like, 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 like uh, giving to the poor and caring for the needy, uh, none of these really matter uh, when the heart is missing. When the heart is missing, none of these really matter. matter. And we get a warning here that nothing good comes from looking good without having God. That's the heart of hypocrisy. Nothing good comes from looking good if you don't actually have God in, in, in it. If God's not present, if that's not your purpose, to be present with Jesus and to seek the Holy Spirit and to be with him and to know him. We can't be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and be filled with the ways of the world. It doesn't work that way. Salt and fresh water do not mix. What Oil and water, whatever analogy you want to use, it doesn't work that way. But what else do you notice by how all these verses end? Jesus ends off these warnings here by saying this, truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full. What does Jesus mean by this? Well, if you're looking for the approval of the world, if you're living as in the ways of the world, if you're looking for earthly rewards, then go for it because you're going to get it. You'll get your reward in full. In fact, that's all you're going to get. If you want the ways of the world, you want to live in the ways of the flesh, you want everything the earthly kingdoms could give you, go for it. You'll get it all in full. But in wanting the world, here's the warning. In wanting the world, you're going to miss out on heaven. You're going to miss out on what God has for you. You're going to miss out on the greater things. And having the small perspective of what's here, you're going to miss out on what is waiting for you in heaven. So we see here hypocrisy harms not only the people around us, but ultimately ourselves as well that we cut ourselves short, that we miss out on the glory of God. We miss out on what God is doing all around us. You see, Jesus was never against prayer, all right? If you're reading this, you're like, well, he's just saying, don't pray, don't fast, don't give to the need. Like, he's not saying he's against that. He's not against prayer and fasting. That's not the point here. He's against people who use this to gain power over others. To gain power over others. Jesus is against the thought that they would think that they can fool God by their actions. As if God doesn't know our hearts. Uh, when, when God measures not only by our actions and what we do, but understands our heart. Our actions flow from our hearts. Our words flow from our hearts. So God measures our hearts. Jesus is against using our actions to prove our worth when ultimately our salvation is by grace. Our, sa- our salvation is in him alone. And these Pharisees, they live out a self-righteous religion, a self-righteous religion. This is the belief that's not concerned with whether God is in their lives or not. It's more concerned about looking good and looking like they're living rightly. It's just about status and it's just about the rewards here on earth. And Jesus warned anyone who lived in this way. In, in a Pharisaic, lived in this Pharisaic way in Matthew 23, 27 and 28. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you, you hypocrites. There's that word again. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and you're full of wickedness. See, the story of Christianity, if we call ourselves Christians, the story of Christianity is not hypocrisy. That's not what we're called to. The story of Christianity is a story of how a man died in the hands of injustice so that his enemies will have life. 
the story of Christianity is, isn't about climbing a ladder and, and, and looking good in, in front of the world. The story of Christianity is going lower and becoming more humble like the way that Jesus lived. The story of Christianity is how a God laid his life on the line and displayed for us. There's no cheating, no lying, no hiding. God displayed for us in, in full view what love looks like on the cross. And he died for humanity so that we can have this new life. And the story of Christianity is how God came to seek and save the lost. But yet, as we look back in history and even now is reminded by what the recent findings and Kamloops that yes, the church has been involved with horrific acts. All religions, in fact, uh, have been part of violence around the world. But I believe this historic acts of history ultimately comes from hypocritical living. Exactly what Jesus is talking about here comes from this hypocritical living. This hypocritical living leads to misapplication and misinterpretation of the Bible. In fact, as I've been mentioning already, that nothing good, nothing good comes from going into the Bible and just looking for verses to prove your point. Nothing good comes from that. Whether, again, I keep mentioning that whether it's war or justifying your stance on sexuality or looking at way, justify the ways that you're living or justifying our own culture, nothing good ever comes from going into scripture and just finding these verses to justify yourself. That is a gross misinterpretation. That's a gross distortion of the will of God. That's a gross way of looking of what the Bible was prepared for us for. And all past hurts from the church and from anyone that's called themselves Christians happened because of this hypocritical living. I'm not taking the scripture seriously and trying to promote ourselves instead of promoting Jesus and God. Hypocrisy hurts people. And as I think about the Inquisitions and more specifically to us in Canada about residential schools, and as I grieve, really grieve the deliberate participation as the church and as we lament these actions came about because of this misinterpretation because of this misapplication the snowballing of people affirming one another before you know it you're going down this hill where everyone thinks it's okay to do such a crazy thing a terrible thing the inquisitions in residential schools and what's been done to the indigenous people here in canada happened because we looked to the bible to prove what we wanted to see Terrible things come when we use the Bible to justify our actions. I've said that. After all, how can we go from all life is precious and made in the image of God? Everyone having the imago dei, carrying God's image to slavery. To treating people as subhuman. How on earth do we ever go from that if we read scripture carefully and, and properly? I stumbled upon this this week. I'm not sure you've ever heard of this. There's something called the Doctrine of Discovery. Uh, it was established in the 15th century and it went hand in hand with something called the Terra Nullius, which is Latin for the empty land. And these set of beliefs developed and supported these concepts that provided theological justification and legal backing to European monarchs to invade and seize non-Christian lands, enslave non-Christian people, uh, in perpetuity, which means forever, and to take their property. This is the idea that European colonial powers had a right to appropriate lands and possessions and treat non-Christians as undeserving of rights 
and flows from this doctrine and these concepts and heavily influenced the legislation that eventually governed indigenous crown relations here. It sickens me to think that Christian leaders and priests and pastors were part of forming this doctrine along with the crown. It sickens me to think that this is how it came about. An example that comes from this reading is this. In January 8th, 1455, uh, King Alfonso of Portugal authorized this decree to conquer Africa. And in the writing, in this, it says this, to invade, search out, capture, vanquish, and subdue all Sar Saracens and pagans whatsoever and other enemies of Christ, wherever, where, wheresoever placed, and the kingdoms, dukedoms, principalities, dominions, possessions, and all movable and immovable goods, whatever so held and possessed by them, and to reduce their persons to perpetual slavery and to apply and appropriate to himself and his successors, the kingdoms, dukedoms, counties, principalities, dominions, possessions, and goods, and to convert them to his and their, their use and profit. Where is the image of God in this? How far have we fallen? How did we ever get to this? And to think that this kind of thinking was shared among the English the Spanish, the Portuguese, the church, as they were sent from these countries to conquer the known world and the unknown world, that this was the thought. Not to treat people in an image of God, not to love them as Jesus loves, not to care for the poor as Jesus cares, but to conquer and to enslave. Hypocrisy hurts. Hypocrisy kills. And I mentioned last week, though briefly, about the 215 children found buried in unmarked graves in the residential schools. And this problem goes back way farther than this discovery, way farther. For most of the history of the residential schools, as I've been mentioning, the church has been directly involved. And I believe here this morning, as I as I am I before as I'm before you over Zoom and on this that I say this with my most most honest conviction that I haven't led our church in this way. That I haven't led our church into a proper understanding and the devastation of this matter. That we haven't talked about this nearly enough, being the context of a church in Canada as Christians in Canada. That we haven't addressed topics of injustice and how we're a part of. The, the process of declaring freedom for all and healing for all. And we're part of God's reconciliation work here in Canada, in our context here. And I haven't led us to that understanding. I haven't led us to that point. And if we're not a church that cares for the poor, that cares for the needy, that cares for the marginalized and hurting, if we're not a church on mission to love people as God loves them, then we're not living as the church. And we've fallen short altogether that what are we doing here? We're not here to pat on each other in the back and be like, hey, that was great. That was a nice service. We sang some good songs. You know, we had some good sharing. You know, let's go get some food and, and let's call it a night. Like we're called to be on mission as a church. And I'm here saying I haven't led us there. I haven't brought up the devastation and, and the travesty that's been going on around us. A spirit-filled church lives out the gospel, lives out the gospel. A spirit-filled church cares and loves for people all around us. And I love you guys too much not to tell you this this morning, that we're part of God's reconciliation work. We're part of God's kingdom. We're part of God's mission, not to conquer people, but to love people and to declare God's love over them.
the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada, uh, TRC for short, if you want to go on their website, it's still there, trc.ca. It, it has all the documents that I'm about to bring up. And it was established in 2008, but in 2015, the final report called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada call to action was released. And you can go to that website and look for it. But the report noted that an estimated 150,000 children were taken from their homes and attended residential schools and an estimated 3,200 children died in those schools. Of the 70,000 survivors who are still around today, there were 31,970 sexual assault cases. The report also concluded that the removal of children from their own culture to assimilate to Canadian culture is counted as a cultural genocide, as well as it hints to a biological genocide. That this is the devastation and the issue that have been underlying our country for so long. This was not just a dark time in the church's history. This was a hypocritical and evil time a disobedient time. And as Christians this morning, as I come to an end, is what are we to do with this? As Christians, what are we to do with this? I don't know how God is speaking to you through this. I don't know how God is, is prompting you, how he's convicting you. As Christians, what are we to do with this? The answer isn't to abandon the Christian faith. I, I don't believe that's the answer. To say away with the church, away with the history, but I think it's to run straight into it to repent, to pray, to reconcile. The Bible tells us people will twist God's words. And this is an example of that. We shouldn't be surprised of that. People will abuse religion, but it's also up to us as the church to keep the church accountable. That is our role. It's up to us to keep the church accountable. It's to measure us up against the Bible standards, not the other way around. And even the TRC, the, this non-church, non-Christian document calls the church into action. I'll read, I'll read a little glimpse of this from item 60. We call upon leaders of the church, parties to the settlement agreement and all other faiths in collaboration with indigenous spiritual leaders, survivors, schools of theology, seminaries, and other religious training centers to develop and teach curriculum from, for all student clergy and all clergy and, and staff who work in Aboriginal communities on the need to respect indigenous spirituality in its own right, the history and legacy of residential schools and the roles of the church parties in that system, the history and the legacy of religious conflict, Aboriginal families and communities, and the responsibility that churches have to mitigate such conflict, conflicts and prevent spiritual violence. And I want to call us today into action too. It's not under the name of human rights is not under the, the under an umbrella of just doing it because it's on social media it's on the news or we're just doing it because everyone else is doing it we need something even more powerful than human rights we need to understand what we're doing and how this was an act that violated the will of god and as christians that ought to offend you if that doesn't offend you there's an issue there that if there's a violation of the will of God, which we hold standard above all things, that ought to offend us. And I think of William Wilberforce, who was instrumental in ending the slave trade in Britain, or Martin Luther King Jr. and his work with the racial injustices in the US. They didn't run away from Christianity in the church. They called the church into action. They called the church to rise up, not to abandon their faith, but for both black and white Christians to be more true to their own beliefs, to look into scripture, to see what the Bible really teaches. 
or Bishop Desmond Tutu, who was part of the apartheid, ab abolition of the apartheid in South Africa. He helped to set up the South African Commission for Truth and Reconciliation. They gave victims to come in this uh, work, uh, in this work, it gave victims the opportunity to come forward and share their stories. And for th those who did the oppressing to come forward and ask for forgiveness. He didn't ask for the church to sit back, but he asked for the church to rise up, to come forward and to speak up. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was pastoring churches in London at that time when Hitler came in, who some thought that Hitler was actually Christian or Catholic or whatever, uh, came into power. When Hitler came to power, Diedrich refused to stay at a safe distance, but he called the church to rise up, though illegally, against the evil regime, saying this is not the will of God. This is not what God has for his church and for the world. And do I dare pray this morning? Do I dare pray this morning that out of our church will rise a Martin Luther King Jr.? That out of our church, will rise a Diedrich Bonhoeffer, will rise a Desmond Tutu, rise the William Wilberforce that makes a difference for the sake of the kingdom, not for the world to see, but because of their faith in Christ, because of protecting what we believe, the sanctity of human life. Our actions never precede the love that we have. And it was because of Jesus' love that drove him to do what he, he did. And I'm praying that we would have this love for people. Love for those in Vancouver, love for those in our church, love for those in our community, that we will live in the way that Jesus has called us to live. And each and every single one of us has a call and a mandate that you don't need to be a person in high position. We have a warning from Jesus here for the Pharisees. It doesn't matter what your status is. It's about your heart and where you're at before God. So today I want to invite us, it's a call to grieve and to repent. As a church, as a Christian, especially as we go to the Lord's table and we celebrate that, to remember what Jesus has done, that there's no reconciliation without repentance. And some of you are thinking you weren't there. And I've had this thought, you weren't there when the residential schools were created. You weren't that teacher. You weren't that nun or that priest. You weren't the ones who took people away from their homes and that is true, but I hope I've made the case for us this morning that we still have a role to play as the church. We weren't there when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, but we're living in the aftermath and we're still living in the consequences of it. And there's a reason why you're living in the country that you're living in now. And there's a reason why you belong to a church that's situated in Canada. We're responsible to help bring healing to the land, to the country, to this place. And using the language from 2 Corinthians 5, we're called to be ministers of reconciliation. Maybe you don't listen to the TRC, but listen to scripture. That we're called to be ministers of reconciliation here in Canada. And we can't change the past, but we can impact today. And we can make a difference. We can't change the past, but we can choose how we live this moment moving forward.
I don't know what God is prompting and convicting you to do. I'm not saying the only ways to move into a First Nations reserve and to work among the people. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do. But there's other ways to talk about this. And we can't say we do not know. Because all of you have a part. And for us this morning, I want to lead us in this time that we can't maybe repent for the whole church, but we can repent for ourselves and for our church. We can repent for our inaction. We can repent for our ignorance. We repent of the times we treated others less than human. We repent of the times we didn't care about the poor and the needy and only caring about ourselves. We repent of the times when we let injustices slide. And we have the call to make things right, not only for the sake of the human rights again, but again, for the will of God. That as the church, we protect the beliefs as well. That we're saying this isn't right. This isn't according to scripture. This isn't according to the ways of God. So as, I come, as we come into communion this morning, I, I want to give you a moment to reflect. Just in the silence of your own homes, for you to close your eyes and to come before God and to ask for repentance and forgiveness for the ways that we have gone wrong, to pray for yourself, but also to pray for our church, for our involvement, and also the generational sin of the church that we have inherited and how we're part of the healing process here. Pray that God will reveal to you your role in all of this.